Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and I don't suck, and neither does the Piffles podcast, but anyone who plays the Riders, they suck. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Let's go, Rider Nation. I'm ready. I'm ready. Welcome to the Piffles Podcast, your Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan podcast. Thanks for joining us this week here, wherever you find your podcasts, whether it's on your favorite podcast platform, watching on YouTube, or watching us on SAS Telemax On Demand. We thank you for tuning in. My name is Alex. I'm Steve. And I want to know Steve, how Steve got his head shaved, and I still got the least amount of hair on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's the real talent straight- you got there, Greg. Um, yeah, a little, oh, it's, I, I actually, I bicked it. I, I, I went right down to the dome. So I'm, I'm almost at that point. I'm probably going to be joining you guys here in the next week, right down to the, right down to the dome. So it'll be fun, but I'm going to enjoy this feel, while I can. I wanted you to feel that joy one more time. It, you, your joy last week brought me, brought me some happiness. So I thought I'd go and do it again. Well, yeah, you weren't here. We had Jeff Fairholm take your place, which was uh, really nice for a change. Um, he was doing really you. good. I like you, end. Steve. But... <laughs> <laughs> he was doing so good. Jeff, you had it. You were right there. You were this close to greatness, and then you just wasted it all away. Uh, that was that was great. Jeff gave us a lot of good stuff. Uh, one of my favorite episodes we've done in a long time, for sure. Um so if you didn't check that out, still lots of timely stuff uh, talking about the riders, obviously, and, and culture-wise, that uh, is really good discussion points. Um, so ha- go back and have a listen or watch that show. Um, but you can give us a follow on X at uh, Piffles Pod. You can give me a follow at RealAlexD. You'll find me at Safamod. And as always, I do not need nor want your pity follows at Greg on Sports. Check us out on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash podcast and the website pifflespodcast.com. Of course, Piffles Podcast is brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. It was almost a blizzard out today just without the wind, so go get a blizzard uh, <laughs> while we get the snow. So they taste better then. I don't know why. It's science. I can't Next explain week it. for like 11 degrees. It is yeah, going to be a weird. mud hole. It'll Perfect for a blizzard. That's all I'm saying. Um, we got plenty of rider stuff to talk about, some stuff across the CFL uh, this week. Let's get to it. Time for the opening kickoff. All right, so we will talk rider stuff here in just a little bit, uh, but we're going to start with the CFL semifinals. Um, this past weekend, Went kind of as expected. Montreal win, winning in the East, beating Hamilton 27-12. Were you guys surprised by, I guess, how much of a beatdown that kind of seemed to be? I expected it to be closer, but considering how Hamilton played this year, I probably shouldn't have been. I think I said it was going to be within within the, uh, within the spread, but Montreal is better than we thought they were going to be this year. Then again, that was against Hamilton. So who knows? 
I'm the opposite. I mean, I picked Hamilton in our article before the game went out, and that was mostly because I didn't have a lot of faith in Cody Fajardo. I mean, we saw in Ryder Nation that come playoff time, it didn't feel like he had that it factor, that that number one QB look. And you know what? On Saturday, he proved me wrong. He was in command for most of that game. Never looked like they were worried. So, shocked, absolutely. Um, were you guys excited about games on Saturday? I know we haven't really talked about that, but playoffs going back to the Saturdays, um, ratings were down just a little bit, not much, but I personally like it. What about you guys? I'm, I think it's... I love the Sunday games. I There's just something about football on Sundays. Maybe that's because I've also grown up an NFL fan and Sundays is always for football. But on a on an extra level this year, I was hoping the Riders would make the West Final, and I was a little sad that the West Final was on Saturday this year because Sunday would have been my birthday. And I love the idea of celebrating a Rider playoff game on my birthday. Last time we did it was the 2017 uh, East Final. Not a great finish, but a fun experience. And I just I, I enjoy those days. So one of the few Piffles uh, watch parties. Yeah, that was a good one. That was, at least I think it was. I don't remember much of it. I remember Jones getting that uh, return touchdown. And like, and there were, all three of us were just standing together like, it's too much time. It's too much time. Yep. And it, it was too much time. And it was too much time. Yeah. But, you know, I, I and th- but that's the reason why they went to the Saturdays. They're trying to avoid that NFL schedule. Because unfortunately, the NFL is a juggernaut when it comes to Sunday appointment watching. And it's to the point where I've now, because my Patriots suck, I've been a red zone fan. Like that's I don't even watch the Patriots game unless I think they're actually going to win. And this year there hasn't been a lot of that. So yeah, the red zone, God bless that channel. Nothing but scoring all the time. It's great. But that's why, but that's why I'm not a a fan of every game, but I sit there for what is it, eight, seven hours of uninterrupted football. God bless Scott, Scott Hansen. <laughs> hardest man had, hardest working man in football yeah we need something like that in the cfl if they ever put games on together at the same time just just something like that um i want to jump to the end of that montreal hamilton game we're not going to get too big into it they're not our teams so um but I've seen a lot of people saying cody fajardo jason moss moving on the riders made a mistake. Greg, I know you're going to have a little bit of a rant about this later with all the teams, but focusing in on this, um, I personally, you guys know I like chaos. The more stuff to get people riled up is what gets me happy and, and excited. Um, I'm actually legitimately, though, happy for, for Jardo and Moss moving on. Um, not because of Ryder fans or Saskatchewan absolutely losing their minds, but generally like genuinely good people and we can all agree after working with Cody Fajardo on t-shirts for charity um, he is a great person and to see somebody you know dip down in his career but then you know having this resurgence going back up again having a winning record going to a conference final that's good stuff so I'm I'm happy for them Um, it does kind of suck that it seems like the scapegoats are moving on though. 
I was actually having that conversation with someone today about Cody and, and I know I brought this up on the pod a few times. Like he so wanted to be the number one guy in Ryder nation. He wanted to be that franchise quarterback for this team. And unfortunately this market is not for everybody. And he needed a clean break. Honestly, the best thing for him was Montreal's ownership issue. So Harris came here. If Harris stayed in Montreal, I think Cody would have been a backup somewhere, not a starter. Um, so I'm I'm happy to see him with some success. But he still does the Cody Fajardo things. He's still Cody Fajardo. He can't he can show uh, flashes of brilliance, but at the same time, he still does that dumb left turn. And you know what? You you say he went to the the perfect scenario. I'm not sure there was a better spot for Cody Fajardo than Montreal. You, when you're in Saskatchewan and you're QB1, everything you do is looked at under a microscope. And if you don't have that, I don't know the right term for it, but basically the, the cojones that you need to deal with that pressure, Montreal is probably the perfect spot. If you're not wearing a Montreal Canadiens jersey, for the most part, they don't care. And he can just go out there, play football, go home. That's that. You know, he doesn't have to deal with the pressure of being in a fishbowl like Saskatchewan. I, you gotta love the guy. You gotta, you gotta feel happy for him. I hope, I hope they don't go on to the Grey Cup only because I don't want to see Winnipeg win it. And let's be honest, Toronto is the best chance at that not happening. Although Cody Fajardo winning a Grey Cup against Winnipeg. That would feel like a Saskatchewan win to me. That does, does sound kind of nice. Right? Cody's never beat Winnipeg. Well, there's well, no time like the, the present. Mm. Oh, yeah, in the playoffs. Beat him, beat him Labor Day in 2019. Okay, that was the only time he beat them. Yes, but, yes. but I mean. So he's one, one, what, one and five, one and six? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, one like and a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but the end of that game, Chris Edwards from the Thai cats starting a fight uh, with Jake Hardy, former rider uh, who ended up having a touchdown in that game. Um, people are calling for him kicked out of the league. What's your guys' take on Chris Edwards? Cause we've seen him do stuff like this before. We've seen him fight fans and that should have been basis enough to kick him out of the league, but throwing a punch in a, at the end of the game, we're getting blown out that, you know, you're losing. I mean, it's not a good look, but I don't think he should be kicked out. I think that teams just won't sign him, but I don't think there'll be any actual like real punishment for him. Chris Edwards is honestly the player that everybody thinks Simone Lawrence is. Period. He's the guy that, like, I don't know how it is that he constantly goes under the radar for months at a time and then does another stupid thing and people go, oh yeah, that's Chris Edwards. Like, it just seems like it's a constant thing. He got in the fight with fans, and then his first game back, he's flipping fans off uh, on his way off the field, and then now this. And it just seems like every time you forget about him, he pops up with some kind of stupid response or action mid-game, during a game, after the game, usually either late in the game or at the end. Which you're missing my, you're missing my favorite. When he faked the handshake to Austin Mack and shoved oh. him on his ass. Right? Like, he just, it's just like he loves himself. to see his name in the paper for doing dumb things. Because 
on the field, he's a decent player. He just can't get his head out of his butt long enough to be a reasonable human being at the same time. I don't think he should be kicked out of the league, but he's he's got another suspension coming for sure. Um, Bo Levi Mitchell's post-game comments. Um, he didn't get the start, didn't come in until a couple minutes left when, I mean, Hamilton's offense did nothing. And he should have been brought in earlier, but didn't come in until a couple minutes left. Um, they asked him about that, and he said, if you're not playing your highest-paid player on this team in a playoff game, I don't foresee myself being here. Is that the end of Bo Levi Mitchell in Hamilton or even in the CFL? Well, he's still a Tiger Cat, according to Orlando, and he signed a more than a one-year deal. I'm certain that's going to be sorted out here shortly. Um, I don't know. Like he, He's not wrong, but at the same time, sorry, Bo, you got pulled out of that Ryder game early this year because you weren't getting the job done either. So I I, I don't know. I Bo might be done. He's definitely going to be the highest-paid player on the team next year, that's for sure. Nothing he did on the field this year suggested to me that he belonged anywhere near a playoff game. Was it, was he what six touchdowns and 10 interceptions or something like that? His, his picks outnumbered his touchdowns by a decent margin. He never looked like he had it. He couldn't throw deep. I, I wouldn't have put him in either. I mean, Schultz had nothing going all game long. So at that point, maybe at halftime you do it to, you know, instill some hope. But beyond that, Highest paid player or not, he didn't perform all season. Schiltz won them a few games. I I have no issues with the coaching decision, and I think those are the comments that you make behind closed doors. Those are not the comments you make publicly unless you know you're already gone. And I think that's why he made those comments, personally. Because he, want, he wanted right, to though. be out of there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, where does he go next? Well, I mean, it depends on Scott Milanovic, maybe. Because if he ends up somewhere else, does Milanovic bring him along? Well, he's already got a house here. <laughs> I was waiting to make that joke. I was waiting for it. Too quick. Too quick for you, Greg. No, it's, um, it's called suspense. I was letting it build. <laughs> the other semifinal, the f- score flattered Calgary. It was 41-30. Oh. The BC Lions just dominated that game. Um, we got big pit, big play VA, uh, Vernon Adams, good VA was cooking three rushing touchdowns, 400 yards passing two passing touchdowns. Like he was just, that's what I hope we see this upcoming week against Winnipeg. Um, so do I. it was great seeing Vernon have that game. And I mean, nobody should be surprised that the lions beat the six and 12 stamps, but I don't know. I thought I have I don't even know what to say about that game. It was expected. We, we said it all year. The Stamps weren't a good team this year. Like I have no regrets dancing on their graves because they weren't a good team. If if the Riders weren't such a clown show, the Stamps would have missed the playoffs and it would have been even better. But the fact that the Riders couldn't win one of seven games to finish the season, that's why Calgary squeaked in the playoffs. But yeah, Calgary wasn't good. This 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 was never actually in doubt. Oh, that could have been us getting beat down by the Lions. <laughs> that that that's exactly it. Both, no matter who won 
that loser battle between Calgary and Saskatchewan. It was all going to be who was going to get absolutely destroyed by BC. And this game wasn't in doubt from the opening kickoff. I don't think anybody outside of a few homers in Calgary thought there was even the slightest glimmer of a chance that Calgary would pull it out. That this was a lot worse than a 41-30 loss. They, they never had a sniff. I was walking the dogs when the kickoff started. And by the time we got home, I look at my phone and kind of walk in the door and it's seven, nothing Calgary. Whoa. Okay. Maybe this is something three plays. They score a touchdown. And then it was all downhill after that. So that was, that's, that's okay. Um, a ton of people got notifications that the game was over and it was the same score as the Alouettes Hamilton game. I had a bunch of people going, the game uh, over? Did I miss the game? I'm like, no, it's on right now. Uh, yeah. Genius I, sports. No, only the CFL. Randy was on here on our show talking about how that was all good. And it, it got better throughout the year. And then uh, that happened. But I don't know if too many people really, really noticed that. Um, but still, I, I mean, I had people that don't even viral. follow the CFL messaging me about that score. So really people noticed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People. Hmm. I got messages asking why they played both games at the same time. And I'm yeah. like, they didn't. The other game's on right now. <laughs> Good job, CFL. Um, well, we'll look ahead to the uh, conference finals a little bit later in the show. Um, but we didn't do this last week, and I, I regret not getting Jeff Fairholm's opinion on this, but talking about semifinal week, your favorite semifinal moments from your time as a Ryder fan. I have a whole bunch of them listed here. I know you guys are going to have a lot of the same ones. Now, granted, 89, I was three years old. So when they beat the Calgary Stampeders, I wouldn't have remembered that by any means. Um, but there are some on my list here that I want to bring up. I'm just curious about uh, your guys' favorite semifinal moments. I think we all know which one's going to be number one for everybody, though. For for me, it was the Kenton Keith uh, touchdown in 06. That was the first playoff game I went on a road trip. I was sitting with Norm and and that Yeah, you were, a couple, you were a couple rows ahead of me. Yeah, there was... Th- that play was electric. That play was Kenton Keith in a nutshell. I missed having I miss having a guy like that at at running back, just where you blink and he was gone. And it completely flipped that game on its side. It was to me that was the biggest one. Mine is everything about that 2013 uh home playoff game, and it was cold. So cold. I have pictures of like beers that legit exploded in the cans because it was so <laughs> cold. But Darian Durant just going, nope, I'm not losing today, and dragging that team to victory. Like that is like the best quarterback performance by any rider quarterback in any game, bar none, my generation, previous generations. I dare someone to tell me someone uh, that Ron Lancaster played a better game than that one. I'm, I'm sure somebody will, actually. I, I, I'm um, waiting for it. <laughs> you're right, though. I've never seen a guy just absolutely will his team to the uh, win like that coming from behind. Um, I was surprised. We're actually all picking something different because to me, it's 2007. The first home playoff game in 19 years. And it was Ryder Stamps. It was the, the beginning kind of of that big, big, big time rivalry. Like they started having it in 05 when Burris left. Um 
but it really wasn't big until the playoffs in 2006, obviously, but 2007 with a game in Saskatchewan and the first play of the game, DJ Flick getting that uh, out route from Kerry Joseph going up the sidelines, scoring. That was still, including the 2013 Grey Cup, that was the loudest I ever heard Taylor Field was that 2007 game leading up to it and that first play touchdown. And forever in my mind, I will see Jim Hobson up on the sidelines, throwing his fist up in the air uh, as Flick passed him going into the end zone. That was just incredible. Like, don't get me wrong, 2013 was a magical season, but there's something about that 2007 season. There was something for everybody. There was that, there was the Grey Cup, there was the blackout game, uh, Labor Day. Like, 2007 yep. is probably the best encapsulation of Rider Nation because that's also when the team started turning it around financially. And Rob Vanstone, I know you listen, do, do a series on that season because I think they would be just great. The, the biggest thing that stands out from the 07 season was the blackout game when they had Eric Tillman on the sidelines waving the, the rider flag. And it just, it was that moment where you realized that was the team. That was a team victory and nothing but good things was going to happen. And that no one, like very few people phenomenal. left. No, I remember that's not being, true at all. Oh no. Well, sorry. Where I was very few people left. Cause I remember huddling underneath the stand understands and people were singing like green is the color. And when they came back out, it was just awesome. I I'd say there was probably only a third of the stadium left if that, but they sounded like yeah. 30,000. That was, that was up there for loudest games when they, when they came out, was it a block punt right after they came out or was that right yeah. before they went under? It was right when they came out. No, that was after they came out. Yeah, yeah it was after they came yeah. out because the the field was absolutely just sopping wet. <laughs> yeah, that was. Oh. And uh, was seven part of that was game was missed uh, when they came back because CBC was. They ended up showing a movie during that uh, yep. delay as well. That was the, the, Nick, the Nolte Nick Nolte movie. movie, wasn't it? Yeah, yes, yeah. it was. <laughs> um, a couple more semifinal moments I do want to uh, note is uh, 2017. I know it was a crossover, but beating Ottawa and Ottawa, that was kind of nice. And especially like kicking the crap out of them. Um, I know Greg, Another you enjoyed Piffles that watch one. party. Um, but we didn't mention 2010 and it often gets lost because maybe because the Riders didn't win the great cup that year, but Jason Claremont's overtime touchdown, that game was phenomenal against BC, that whole game back and forth, the Riders, we don't even get that Jason Claremont moment without a Hail Mary at the end of the game. Manny Arsenault ends up scoring um, last play of the game down by seven. They get the extra point to go to overtime. It was like, of course. And then we get that awesome Jason Claremont moment with a beautiful block by Chris Gatzlaff as well to put him into the end zone. Um, that was just a, a great moment as well. So some of our, favorite semifinal moments, at least in the recent history for the riders. Uh, we do have some rider news. The all-star teams were announced last week. Uh, riders having three all-stars, which I guess was kind of surprising, but also a bit disappointing as well. Cause I think they missed a couple um, punter, Adam Corsack, special teams returner, Mario Alford and Larry Dean linebacker, all named all-stars, which I think we can all agree. Yep. 
Absolutely, they were. Hey, I'm glad Mario's finally an all-star. I can stop making the joke. <laughs> uh, I honestly, I don't, I don't know who you missed for for the all-star team. Yeah, you could, I, and I, I made the argument about Nick Dembski, whether or not he should have been or not. But I, I think MLS you could make Emelis or Bain. Emelis is, the funny thing is, I'm like, well, maybe they wanted a Canadian. I looked. Emelis and Dembski's stats weren't that far off. Same amount of touchdowns, obviously over a thousand yards, both of them. And Derek Taylor's like, well, Dembski had the rushing yards. I'm like, okay, sure, I guess. A hundred rushing yards makes him an all-star over Emelis. I'd rather have Emelis. I'm sorry, I would. Going into that, and season, I, and I like I like Dembski, but going into the season, you expect Dembski to put up that kind of stuff. I mean, you don't, Greg, because now he's finally a no. one thousand yard receiver. Um, <laughs> but we know how good he is. We knew that going in. Sam Emelis was still a huge question mark going into this year, and to exceed everybody's expert expectations, I think that merits something there as well. I just lost went from, I just left and went one to four. Skips Emelis and Bain, or Bain then Emelis and then Dembski. When if you yeah, look at the ratings gonna, for receivers, going to take the top stats leaders, then the Riders got screwed, and that was because they wanted to get Dembski on there somehow. I truly believe that. I believe that too, and that's kind of what I was pointing out. Like, okay, yeah, everyone lost their minds because Dembski finally got to a thousand yards. So here's your all star. I'm like, okay, well, no. And the the problem with Dembski on there is he's the third guy in that offense. You look at at Kenny Lawler, Dalton Schoen, he's he's getting covered by the third or fourth DB. Of course he's going to put up yards. There were times where Emelis was our number one receiver. Most of the season, to be honest. To me, it was, it was a clear choice, and I think they got that one wrong. Yes, we're going to be looked at like homers for, you know, picking the rider over the, the bomber, but 100 yards rushing doesn't make a difference to me. It's it negligible. We're talking 20 10 or five yards a game. Wow. That's uh that's the difference maker right there. All right. Well, we're going to do some free agent talk right now. The riders have 36 of them. We're not going to go through all of them right now because that's just way too many to get into. Uh, maybe we'll do a couple groups right now. We'll start with the offense, I think. Um, I'm really curious about how the makeup of this team is going to happen, especially with not having a head coach right now. Because how far can Jeremy O'Day go ahead and maybe have contract talks with players and their agents without knowing who the head coach is? And when you're looking at who you're potentially bringing in as a head coach. Maybe it is Scott Milanovic. Maybe it's, you know, a guy on the offensive side of the ball. Four of your five quarterbacks are free agents. The only one that's not is Trevor Harris. And even then, Trevor Harris is also a question mark as well, just with his age, his salary. Does the new offensive-minded coach and the staff even want a guy like Trevor Harris? Do they want to go with a younger guy? with more mobility. There's so many questions here. So where do you guys stand on, on having, I mean, everybody as a free agent and how do you even pick who you want to have back? 
well, first of all, I just want to say it's very disappointing that J.O. would l- allow this many free agents. It's not like Calgary, who has 37, would do this. Um, but I don't know. Um, frankly... It's the life of the one-year contract. I know. And that's... And th- th- everyone knew this was going to be an issue when they allowed one-year contracts because it's hard to keep that team cohesiveness unless you're Winnipeg, apparently, and they just keep on signing their veterans until they're too old to play, but hopefully that's next year. But I digress. Um, quarterbacks, obviously, you got Trevor Harris. I th- you got you got to try sign Jake, I think, out of those five or four, sorry. Um, Pipkin, sure, short yardage. Shea Patterson, obviously, lot, we lost the Patterson package very early in the season. Like I think we saw, what, what one game and then it was gone. So I, I, if you want, yeah, bring Pipkin back for short yardage. But yeah, I think you you want Jake as that as that backup uh, to be work under Trevor Harris, and you make Jake's contract uh, play playtime based, where if there's a situation where he becomes a starter, he gets paid like a starter. Because I don't know where he's going to go, probably Calgary, and then bites us in the butt. But that's the uh, but whatever. I mean, to to me, there's there's no way you bring Mason Fine back at this point. He was the number two coming out of camp. He got his shot and did nothing with it. At least with Jake, he has some of those intangibles that he's got the the size, the arm strength that you can at least fall back on and say, hey, there's some potential there. I don't think we see it with Mason Fine. Shea Patterson, same thing. If they had any intention of keeping him, they don't make a trade for Antonio Pipkin. Simple. Um, I'm, I'm of the mind that Pipkin can follow right out the door too i don't think he really shined much as a short yardage guy honestly he was almost a liability the way he would run sideways rather than forwards on 90 percent of his short yardage plays so i think you bring back trevor harris you bring back jake if jake comes back he's going to want to raise and i agree with you it needs to be a, a playtime based deal and you know maybe go to trevor and say we need, we need some of that money back and maybe shorten that salary a little bit and split it up and to to me, there's there's no real question on who you who you bring back and who you don't. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think the only one out of uh, the four free agents that you bring back is Jake Dolagala, and you bring in four more young guys into camp, and you start developing more and more because who knows how long Trevor Harris has, right? So, I think it's pretty. I mean, it sounds simple, but. What if the new offensive coaches don't like any of these guys? And they're just kind of stuck with them, I guess. And now all of a sudden that's why Jo's on a three-year contract, not a one-year contract. And you <laughs> start from scratch. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to me to see, well, one, the coaching, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute here, but just how they bring players along. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I think Jake Dolagala deserves to be brought back. And again, yeah, he's going to probably get a raise and it's going to be playtime incentives and, and whatnot. But we'll see how that all turns out. They had a lot of guys on the six game injured list. You have to save a lot of money from uh, Trevor Harris. Maybe you convert Harris's last year into a lot of a signing bonus and lessen his salary for 2024. Maybe you give some of that bonus 
for some of that saved money as a bonus to Jake Dolagala and some of the other free agents? I don't know. Jeremy O'Day is going to have a lot of work to do uh, identifying who he wants to bring back, who he thinks his coach is going to want to bring back, and going from there. Um, I'm the, the, we'll I'm take the a look at the uh, running be... backs as well, and then we'll save the rest. I said, I'm the, I'm of the opinion that they should be spending $99,999 over the cap on signing bonuses right up to that limit. And if they don't, if I was GM, not a question. You give away that extra $100,000 in cash. Don't give away draft picks, but use every dollar you can. We're seeing teams win the Grey Cup with a, you know, going over the salary cap. It's, it's not hey, a hard We're cap. seeing teams like Ottawa spending over salary cap and <laughs> losing 12 games a season. They're, yeah, hey, but that they're takes trying. a special they're kind trying. of stupid. Win if you can, lose if you must, but always, always, always spend over the cap. Yep. Why do people in Ottawa hate me again? All right, well, we'll look at... Uh... <laughs> Look at uh, running backs here, and then we'll save the rest for for later down in the in the off season here. Uh, but Frankie Hickson, Jamal Morrow, and I'm going to include the fullback Albert Awachi are all free agents. None of them blow me away and and scream out. You need to need to bring them back. I'm fine if you bring want to bring back Jamal Morrow. Obviously, Frankie Hickson fell out of favor with the coaching staff because they did not use him at all. And then Albert Awachi is, I mean, he's a role player. He's a fullback. He's a special teams guy, Canadian passport. So that probably gets him a job here next year. But it doesn't scream, hey, go out and sign him tomorrow. None of them do, honestly. I've seen some wild takes where people would rather have Hickson over Morrow. I think if you're going to bring one of them back, you bring back Morrow. As for... A watchy. Uh, we don't talk about Bruno enough. I I, I think. <laughs> no no no. Yeah no no no. We don't talk about Bruno. Uh, but seriously, I watchy. Yeah, I, Bruno Labelle fits that fullback, and and same thing with Hudon. Hudon is. I don't think you need to worry about uh, bring back a watchy. So. You know. The, the Riders have, used to have a pretty good history of bringing in running backs. <clears throat> you know, we had Corey Sheets. He went, or sorry, we had Kenton Keith. He retired, went to the NFL. We brought in Corey Sheets. Then he retired. And then we've been kind of searching ever since. I thought we had it with Joe McKnight. Unfortunately, tragedy struck there. And it seems like ever since, we haven't really had anybody special other than Keith Toaston at, at that running back position. Neither uh, Hickson or Morrow really excite me at all. You know, I'm I'm the guy that had the the Sheets jersey out of camp, had the Kenton Keith jersey out of camp. We we won't talk the about the other jersey. one. Had the Keith right? like, yeah. He he deserved a chance. Let's be honest. But I digress. You know, running backs is that that's my specialty. I want somebody that to come out of camp that just absolutely lights it up. And we haven't had that, honestly, since Sheets. We're, we're coming on 10 years of okay, okay. running back. And that's, that's not good enough. In the CFL, you need, you know, look at, look at the teams that are succeeding right now, specifically Toronto and Winnipeg. They rely heavily 
on their running game to succeed. You need that, especially getting into the colder weather. And I don't see being able to rely on either of these guys. Honestly, I'd be disappointed if we brought any of the three back. But if you have to, absolutely have to, I mean, Jamal Morrow is the obvious choice, but I'm hoping he's brought in as a camp body and and nothing more. Wow, absolutely no love for Trey Mason or uh, Trent Richardson. That's just egregious, <laughs> you guys. Come on. Oh, the the oh Trent Richardson. The for like what one game that was so good, and then just yeah. Honestly, I forgot all yard. about Richardson. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, the hey the bright the brightest candles burn out the fastest. That's right. Well, there's quarterbacks and running backs. We'll look at the rest of the groupings as we go on through the off season before the end of the calendar year here. That's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty. Time to jump into our Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones, take a look around the league for some things. But again, I want to start with the riders and we're going to talk about the head coaching and uh, a bit of an update question mark. Um, Okay, Still which not... which uh, uh, rider media personality are we listening to? Uh, a former uh, Roddy or the or... other guy? <laughs> um, okay, well, we'll start there with uh, with Scott Milanovic. <laughs> uh, rumored to be having an in-person meeting, but hasn't been granted, but has been granted, uh, which was happening on Tuesday night, which isn't happening until next week. So I have no idea what's going on there. Um, obviously, you ask for an interview and do your due diligence, whether he's your number one target or not, you still ask for the interview. You go through the process. You have time here. Um, but the Ticats, Orlando Steinauer said they will not hold Scott Milanovic back. If he wants to move up, obviously they'll want to keep him there. He's under contract for next year. They want to keep him. But if another opportunity arises for him to advance his career, then they'll let him do that. So, Translation, we're not Ottawa. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Scott Milanovic possibly having an, an interview soon. I think we're, we all kind of figured that was going to happen, right? I think he's the number to. one choice. Like, by far, it wouldn't shock me. He was supposed to coach Trevor Harris in Edmonton before he went back to the NFL after that lost season. You want an offensive-minded coach. Because Lord knows we haven't had one since what Ken Austin, or I guess Grandpa hey, that Kenny. Worked, that worked out well. Both of them. Uh, both of them. But it's yeah. I I think he's yeah the clubhouse leader right now by all r- rumors, and I'm curious to see what what that could bring. Well, and Jeff Fairholm, the more I th- think about what he said last week on the show the more I tend to lean that way. Um, I want them to go with a Max Simic, with a, with a Corey Mace, a young guy, uh, innovative. But the more I think about it and the more that I listen to Jeff's reasoning behind it, I agree. They need to get somebody safe, somebody that maybe it's not the flashiest name, but a Scott Milanovic does bring that respect factor automatically to that head coaching position here again. And 
I'm really starting to think that's really who is going to be the, the, the coach going forward. It's going to be Scott Milanovic. And I think right now he's the number one guy on the list. Not my personal list, but I think on the riders list, he is. Well, you got so, to think who's doing the hiring. It's J.O. who was a hair away from being shown the door himself. Like he he can't mess this up. Like this is his last shot. So yeah, he's not going to as much as people are like Henry Burris. Like he's probably not going that far off the board. He's going to want somebody. He, he's going to want someone he knows is going to bring stability to this franchise. And I don't think it's going to be someone getting their first head coaching shot. I really don't. I mean, honestly, barring any some unforeseen circumstances, I'll be shocked if if Milanovic isn't uh, <laughs> head coach by the end of November. Uh, uh, like you said, with O'Day being in the position that he's in, and this being really his first legitimate head coaching hire, he he has to knock it out of the park, or at least make this team competitive within two seasons. Because I think if he if if they show some success next year, he'll be okay. But they have to be competitive fairly quickly, or he's going to be unemployed. And you're not going to take that chance with a Maximic or a Corey Mace or you know the names that we'd love to see that I think will be great head coaches very soon. But they're going to go to teams that have some semblance of stability and can make that, you know, less than safe choice. And uh, people are starting to actually bring back uh, Mark Killam's name uh, this week, uh, special teams coordinator in Calgary. And (laughs) before Steve, I know, um, I don't think the team wants to go with another special teams coordinator based off their last special teams coordinator being head coach, uh, especially for a team that was just six and 12, like the Calgary Stampeders were with the special teams kind of, you know, not being as good as they normally are. Um, But players love him. Players are willing to go through a wall for him. And he's been, you know, maybe that succession plan. Maybe he's still that succession plan in Calgary where Dave Dickinson gets GM full-time drops head coaching duties. Maybe that's what they're doing there, but, I don't know. There, at least there's another potential candidate to interview. Um, I don't think that'll amount to anything, but I wouldn't be surprised if the interview gets done and people obviously will lose their mind over it. <laughs> no, no, no. God, no. I'm done with special teams coordinators for the next decade. They're, they seem like lovely people, but outside of Mike O'Shea, has there been a successful special teams coordinator becoming a head coach? Well, it wasn't Jeff Reinbold. Jeff Reinbold, great special teams guy, terrible head coach. Craig Dickinson, great special teams guy, terrible head coach. The history speaks for itself. I just, no, no. Don't even interview him. Don't even, if you see a Calgary number calling, hang up. <laughs> what, if Mark M- fate. what if it's Mark Mueller? Hang up. Don't even tip. It's not worth the risk that it might be, you know, kill him in a Mark Mueller suit. Just no. No. Okay. Well, there's that, there's that other Calgary name, Mark Mueller, um, who had his play calling stripped uh, from his duties 
this year. Um, yeah, I can't see it being him after that, regardless Legit. of what his friend here in the media thinks. Do not interview anyone from Calgary this year. Just do not. Unless it's Dave Dickinson going, you know what, I'm, I'm sick of being here. You, you take on maybe that call, but that's it. Like, I, I think Mark Mueller's got a future in this league. I think he's going to be a great – he's going to be a head coach at some point due to just his lineage. He's going to get a shot. I think Killam's going to get a shot due to how well the players love him. And to a man, any any player I've talked to behind the scenes says Killam's a, a great coach and a, and a guy that inspires this is not the year you do it. Like it just is just not. So I don't know. I, I, I see what the Vegas Raiders do um, by firing Josh McDaniels, who might be the worst head coach. Of never, all time never insult in the Patriots. NFL. You never insult the Patriots. Oh no, I'm not. They, not insulting they're doing a good team. enough job of that all by themselves. <laughs> they are I'm just insulting him. He ruined the Broncos, set them back a decade. Uh, he really no, I, I, I'm re- I'm re- I'm referencing the straw that broke the the camel's back this week when when they gave the speech and he got mad because they insulted the Patriots team that he coached and lost in the, in the Super yeah. Bowl. But their linebacking coach Alec Pierce or is it, oh, no, it's Pierce. Uh, yeah, it's but Pierce. Um, they win their first game. Okay, yeah, it's against the Giants who were down to their like fourth string quarterback, whatever. Um, but the players responded to it and they love this guy. And I watched one of the uh, post game Mm -hmm. conferences uh, with him and they asked the media asked him about, okay, well you had practice roster players on the sidelines that, you know, didn't happen before. What, what made you want to do that? He goes, well, they're busting their ass just as much as everybody else during the week, giving us looks on offense, giving us looks on defense, special teams, everything. They have a uniform. They are here. They are on this team and they're going to be with the sidelines with us. And I know it's kind of a, you know, one of those minor things that it shouldn't really make a difference to your game play if you have practice roster players on the sideline or not, but it does. It's one of those little things that players buy into, you know, active roster players will buy into that because I mean, they're friends with these guys, they're teammates with these guys and you see them on the, on the sideline with you. It really is, you know, that whole family atmosphere. And that's what players are responding to. So to circle back, that's what I'd love to see here in Saskatchewan is just that type of coach that gets everybody together for that common goal. It's not a bunch of, you know, me, me, me players. It's finding we, we, we players. So I hope whoever the riders, you know, end up with, that's the culture that they're trying to create. We talked to Jeff Fairholm about culture quite a bit, and I hope that's something that uh, really starts to change here in Saskatchewan. Top to bottom, like Jeff pointed out last week, it has to be top to bottom. It's not the same as it was back in the rider heyday from 07 to 13, minus 2011, but we don't talk about that. So remember, it's not the coach's job to motivate their players. Oh, Greg, Greg Marshall. Marshall taught us that. And he, he, he should have been a special teams coach. <laughs> what I've learned over the years is Greg's know nothing about football. Nothing. Hey, easy. Now this is the Fair no Greg's club. We're allowed one. We're allowed one Greg. 
Um, I'm afraid that Kahari Jones is going to get an interview. I feel that's kind of one of those things that, yeah. Oh, he's number two. He, he's, he's number two. He's the um, second choice. I know fired by Ottawa. And I like Kahari Jones, the person. I like him as an offensive coordinator. Um, I did in 2013 anyway. <laughs> um, not so much with Ottawa. Um, I I hope they don't go that route. If he ends up being one of the coordinators or or on staff, I'm I think I'm fine with that. But I I hope if Milanovic, you know, isn't the guy, I hope that Kahari Jones isn't the next one up. I I don't hate if the writers hired Kahari Jones, I wouldn't hate it. Cause I think he was doing fairly well in Montreal. He just wasn't Machocha's guy. Like he was doing okay as a head coach. They just had a change in leadership and Kahari wasn't his guy. So I think he'd be fine with a decent staff behind him. I think he got scapegoated out of Ottawa because they weren't going to fire um Bobby Dice. Yeah, they weren't gonna fight Bob they weren't gonna fire Bob. I would know if he didn't block me on Twitter. I'm sorry anyway, I his name. You're blocked by Bobby, Bobby Dice. I'm. I have no idea why. I think it's what? a pretender's red blacks image. I have no idea. All of a sudden, one day, I'm like, "Why am I blocked by Bobby Dice?" <laughs> like the nicest guy in football. I know, right? And I didn't say. Any, I have never said a word about Bobby Dice. Good, bad, or indifferent. Besides, very loving praise because I like Bobby Dice, and he blocked me. I have no idea why. So. I don't know. I, I I don't think Kahari deserved to be fired. Don't get me wrong. Ottawa's bad, but they just have a bad team. They have no depth top to bottom. So I'm, that's I'm, not Kahari's fault. I'm really torn on Kahari Jones. On one side, I agree with you that I think he did better than his stats and his future in Montreal suggested. I think he would have done well there if given the opportunity. But on the flip side, I don't think there's anything that would instill less confidence in the future of this organization than hiring somebody that was fired by the only organization more inept than us right now. I'm When you mentioned steer clear of anybody in Calgary, I'm steering even farther away from anything that even sniffed at Ottawa at this point. There is something cursed with that organization it's like they sold their soul for that first Grey Cup and haven't been able to buy a victory ever since. It Just no. I love Kahari. I would love to see him as somebody on the staff, sure. But if he's the head coach that they hire and announce, I'm, I'm done. That, that would just be... I would rather then that they take the chance on a Max Simic or a Corey Mace or one of those up-and-comers, because I think there's a better chance of success. Well, it'll be interesting to see what coordinators, whoever the head coach brings along. We'll talk about that next week. I think it's a little bit too early to talk about coordinators when we don't know who the head coach is going to be. Um, but we want to move on here to uh, the league awards, which happen next week. Um, I think... Mario Alfred kind of got screwed out of the West, but whatever um, for special teams. But let's give our league award predictions right now. Let's see how many we actually get right. Um, 
It's a lot of Toronto Argonauts, and I think they're going to win a lot of them. Uh, so we'll start with the special teams. It's Javon Leak for the Argos, the returner against Sean White in BC. I think Leak wins that one. Kickers aren't people. Leak's going to win in, in a walk. Despite what Derek Taylor says about Sean White having the best season a kicker has ever had, he's wrong. I love Derek Taylor, but his made-up stats to <laughs> for kickers and punters yeah. are just out there to me, man. I don't get it. <laughs> hey, 87% of the stats are made up, and 53% of people know that. So I, I, I don't know what he's doing out there. It's Javon Leak, and it's not even close. The only thing that would have made this close would have been Leak versus Alford, and even then, I think Al or I think Leak wins. He's just been electric all season. Uh, rookie of the year in the West, we got Kai Gray for Edmonton defensive back, and Quantez Stiggers from Toronto defensive back. He had a phenomenal year. It's it's Stiggers to me. When I saw Kai Gray announced, I was who. I legit right? had no idea who he was. I'm like, like I like Stiggers is in in a walk. This is no question asked. It absolutely it's Stiggers. And I I was reading something earlier today. It was an article that Chris O'Leary had put out back in June, and he was talking about how we should enjoy Quantez Stiggers while we can because the idea was he was gone. And that was three games into his career here. And in the article, he mentions that he's going to try and win rookie of the year. He's going to try and finish with nine plus intercepts. Like he had his entire season mapped out three games into the year. And he lived up to it. It's it stickers in a unanimous vote. Unlike Matthew Betts in the West. <laughs> um, offensive lineman Jamarcus Hardrick from Winnipeg against uh, Dijon Allen from Toronto. I think they'll just give it to Hardrick. I originally said in my picks that I put online, I said Hardrick. I think Allen deserves it, but I think they're going to pick Hardrick because they can't give everything to Toronto. I know absolutely nothing about offensive lines that belong to us. I'm going to say Hardrick because you guys did. Um, probably the one one of my favorite ones because I like both these guys. Uh, Canadian is going to be. I mean, it's going to be Brady Oliveira who wins it from Winnipeg, but against Mark Antoine DeCroix from Montreal, who's had a phenomenal year. Great um, season. Great season. I'm a big fan of DeCroix. He's <laughs> he's a player. Uh, but Oliveira had 2,000 scrimmage yards and led the league in rushing, and it wasn't particularly close. He's going to get it easily. He's going to get this one because they're not going to give a most outstanding player. Yep. Even if he did get most out, well, if he got most outstanding player, I would hope he would also get most outstanding Canadian. Although that, to me, would be the equivalent of getting the special teams player of the year and not being an all-star. But, yeah, Oliveira wins this, and if he doesn't, Winnipeg should ride. He had a phenomenal year. Uh, defensive player of the year, Matthew Betts from BC against Darius Pickett of Toronto. I think this one goes to Betts. Um, he could have easily been the Canadian uh, of the year for the West. Um, dude was unbelievable to start the year. Had a little bit of a lull, uh, but picked it up in the second half of the year. Uh, Betts, to me, wins this one pretty pretty easily. 
there's no way Betts was going to be a most outstanding Canadian because he wasn't even the most uh, unanimous position from his own uh, from his own team. That was weird. Uh, so, so someone tried to Helatic. I'm like, don't give me Helatic. Come on. Uh, yeah, Betts is going to win. Like Pickett had a great season, but yeah, Matthew Betts by far the fancy stats always win. This honestly might be the least exciting award show in CFL history because it feels like all of them are basically locked to win and it's bets in a, in another one. Uh, most outstanding player, Brady Oliveira from Winnipeg and Chad Kelly for Toronto. You can, I think you really could make the argument for both. Um, the reason why I think it's going to be Chad Kelly is Greg, what you said is Oliveira is going to get Canadian and they're going to give Chad Kelly most outstanding player, which also, I mean, we talked about it before the season started. There's nobody that means more to the CFL right now than Chad Kelly. And going into this year, I, I believed that. And I still believe that. And if he can go out and go 16-2 and two and get most outstanding player, potentially win a great cup, are you kidding me? Like, that's incredible. And for that market in Toronto to, you know, get behind that with a guy who also signed a contract extension – in season for, now he's here for a few more years that's just icing on the cake so to me it's it's chad kelly don't get me wrong like yeah right now looking at it it should be close but we also got to remember that they wouldn't been like resting kelly off and on for like nine games like he could have caused a lot of damage if they weren't very careful with his playtime. i yeah they need for the better the CFL, they need to give it to Kelly. A, a Canadian winning most outstanding player won't move the needle. Chad Kelly will move the needle. The guy is 15-0 and 0 in games where he plays more than 30 minutes. He's 15-1 and 1 as a starter. I realize wins aren't just a quarterback stat, but when you're effectively undefeated as a quarterback, that's enough for me. He's played lights out. He's been a calming presence which is odd for a guy named Swag Kelly to be that calming guy. His name is center, not but... Swag. His <laughs> name is not Swag. <laughs> Just let him cook, okay? Nope, not going to curse at you. Oh. Not about it. Not going to do it. Oh, I enjoyed that face. I got to screenshot that later. But it's it's <laughs> Kelly. It's It's got to be Kelly. Oliveira had a great season, but he's going to get his most outstanding Canadian award. I just... The, the fact that there was a discussion on who was the most outstanding player in Winnipeg should be enough to give it to Kelly. That they couldn't necessarily pick one. It wasn't much team. of a, it shouldn't have been much of a conversation. But it was. It shouldn't have been. Well, there's a lot of things about this league that shouldn't be, but here we are. <laughs> Great point. Um, and the final one, Coach of the Year, Mike O'Shea versus Ryan Dinwiddie. It's a regular season award. I don't care if uh, Toronto doesn't make it to the Grey Cup and Winnipeg does. It's a regular season award. And Dinwiddie was 16-2. and two. We've only seen that done once before. To me, it's a no-brainer. That's Ryan Dinwiddie in a landslide. Oh, yeah, easily. <laughs> like, I, I don't even know why you even entertain O'Shea, really. It's, it's Dinwiddie, no problem. Yeah, I've nothing else to add there. It's Dinwiddie. All right, well, we'll see how close we are next week when the player awards are. Um, before we get to our picks for the finals, 
conference finals. Do want to mention about the Saskatoon Hilltops. This upcoming Saturday is the CJFL final in BC against the West West Shore Rebels. Go um, Rebels. Greg will say that. I will say go Hilltops because go Saskatchewan. Um, and I will say go sports. <laughs> go local sports uh, team. So uh, if you can uh, find some time to fit that into your schedule on Saturday, I know it's a pretty busy day uh, for a lot of people, especially with Remembrance Day. Uh, if you can catch some of that, that'd be great. And uh, CGFLTV.com. Yep. Just keep supporting, su- supporting minor football. Well, the CFL division finals. Before we make our picks, Greg, three of the four starting quarterbacks that are left no. are former Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Well, they're there, they're that, yes. There's Vernon Adams for BC, there's yes. Zach Caleros for Winnipeg, and yes. there's Cody Fajardo in Montreal. Yes. People are saying, man, the riders have absolutely just just blew the quarterback situation by how can you let all of them go? You mentioned that you has some thoughts on this. Well, it's not it's not the riders. They're they're trying to pin this all in O'Day. And don't get me wrong, you can hate Jeremy O'Day for many decisions he's made. You can't hang him on all of these. Vernon Adams okay, well, wasn't him. Yeah, I was gonna say that let's start Chris with Jones. Vernon Adams. Yep. That was Chris Jones. And they traded him for Charleston Hughes. I don't think that was a terrible decision at the time. And Jones wasn't going to play Vernon Adams. Let's be honest. He he traded for him, but never used him. I, I have no idea why they traded for him. So I, I liked VA. I wanted him to stick around, but that wasn't his decision. Or that wasn't J.O.'s decision, I should say. That was, a, that was a Chris Jones one. Next up, Zach Caleros. Everyone's, play, everyone's talking about Zach Caleros with a metric ton of hindsight. Everyone wants, oh, it was an easy decision. They picked Cody over, like, I can't believe they picked uh, Cody over the, what, two-time MVP, three-time great, blah, 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 blah. Zach, no one knew if Zach Claris was ever going to play again. They traded him out of the West to the East, got a got a pick back for him when no one thought he was ever going to play again, possibly. Key and Schaefer Baker was that draft pick, Which became way. Key and Schaefer Baker. If Matt Nichols did not get hurt, Zach Claris never would have been traded to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And who knows what would have happened then? Hell, you want to take it back even further. If Darren Durant didn't screw the Bombers, Zach Claris never would be a, a Bomber right now. So, also, you can't blame, and I know Peter Mills is going to yell at me about this, you can't blame the riders for trading Zach Caleros. Everyone in that situation, minus Peter Mills would have made that decision when they made it because at the time Cody looked like the next guy and he was the most outstanding player nominee for the West that year. Yep. So don't tell me Zach Caleros was going to easily be our starting quarterback for the remainder of time. Now, Cody Fajardo, that one is on O'Day. He picked, Dickey over Cody, plain and simple. Those two cannot be in the same locker room again after the end of last season. Did he make the right decision? I don't know, because I don't know if Cody, under a different head coach, would have been the 2019 Cody. 
because this is still the fishbowl and there's a lot of fans despite what everyone's saying everyone know oh we knew cody was going to do it no 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 don't give me that everyone thought cody was cooked at the end of last year so don't give me that garbage so are three of the three of the four quarterbacks former riders yes but they weren't none of them were going to be our franchise quarterback for a long time okay well let's uh get to the games themselves we'll start in the east montreal toronto um i haven't seen the spread on this uh my guess it's it's wild (laughs) uh toronto's probably well they're going to be favored my guess is probably by like 12 and a half I don't I don't know if I could go that big. I'm gonna go ten and a half. Twelve and a half's a lot. Started at ten, it is now eleven. Um I Toronto wins. Um even though I had to choose this week because I have both the hats. Um so I guess since I'm making picks with hats, that's how that I have what I have to do. So I guess I'm going with Toronto. Um but I don't think they cover that spread. They should. They should easily. But I think there's just going to be some uh, Cody Fajardo late minute get the game close kind of plays, and they keep it. Well, to... the over unders for you because it's fifty and a half, so they're expecting a high oh, scoring. Game. Yeah, give me the give me the over on that. I think Toronto is going to stomp them. They got sounds like they, they well they opened up the upper deck. I know they're pushing for a sellout. The Trues are playing halftime. It's good to see Toronto rallying around this team. It's probably the best story out of the CFL this year is the Toronto brand, the Argonaut brand being something again. I I don't see any situation where Toronto doesn't win by double digits. You mentioned some late game Cody magic. I'm, I'm sorry. I, have been a Ryder fan for the last few years. Nothing about a, a do or die moment leads me to believe that Cody Pajarda will step up and do rather than die. He's still the same quarterback to me. And I don't see him having success against a team, not from Hamilton. This is a completely different ball game. I think, and I think he folds under that pressure. And I think that his offensive line folds under what, will be a ton of pressure from Toronto, and I think they win by 20. You're making it sound like I think it's going to be a three-point game here. No, I think it's still going to be like a 10-point game. It's just they're going to get to within you know, <laughs> 10 points with two minutes left so they can do, do an onside kick or something. No, oh, that, well, eight, that, eight, that uh, one-yard punt at the line? I'd love to see that in the playoffs. That'd be great. <laughs> You know, it'd be a great time to see that like last minute of the game. You need one more first down to ice it. It's second and 19. And then you pull it off. Think of the pressure as the guy catching that ball going, if I mess this up, we lose. Oh, that'd be beautiful. But yeah. Well, the analytics would say to punt it. So, yeah. Um, In the West, we have BC at Winnipeg. I think this opened up at, uh, what was it, four and a half for Winnipeg? 
I'm not saying anything to you guess numbers. Well, Steve, I just guessed. Oh, sorry. I was, I thought you were asking. Uh, I'm going to say three and a half for Winnipeg. Started at five and a half. It's four and a half. Alex gets a ding. Ha ha. Yeah, I saw that. I think it was Marshall Ferguson tweeted about it. Um, Eating. It's not who I think is going to win. It's who I have the hat of. I don't have a Winnipeg hat, so I guess I'm going with the BC Lions. <laughs> and they play VA. Hopefully we get good VA in this game. Um, I, I I don't know. I think it's just, it's if it's going to be cold and snowy, then that obviously favors the BC – or sorry, the Bombers. Um but I hope, uh, I really hope I this is going to be what four or six degrees. I thought it's supposed to be warm in Winnipeg this week. Yeah, that's that's pretty decent in the middle of November. Um, I don't know. I, I still think it's going to be Winnipeg. I don't want it to be. I, I'm sick of seeing them in gray cops. Um, so I really hope they're, this they're is unbearable. They're unbearable. I hope this is Vernon's, you know, shining moment and he has just an absolutely great game and wills them to a win. ABW at this point, uh, anyone but Winnipeg, uh, give me BC. I, I, I'm hoping for good VA. They got the receivers that are, that are going to force uh, Winnipeg to play with them. I like BC's defense slightly better than Winnipeg's. I think the, it's going to be a tight game. It's, it's going to be within a field goal. Sean White is the so-called the best kicker in the league, but you also can't uh, discount Sergio for anything. Uh, I like BC though. I I don't want to agree with both of you. It just seems wrong, and it seems like it's tempting fate. But honestly, I I would have picked BC coming right out of it. I think Winnipeg is missing a very important piece to their offense with Dalton Schoen being likely out this week. It seems as we get through practice week. Uh, I realize yes, they picked up Marquise Ambles from you know, Toronto to pick up some of that Toronto knowledge for the Grey Cup. But beyond that, I don't think they have the horses to to hang with BC when BC is coming to this game healthy. I think it all comes down to which Vernon Adams shows up. And to me, I think this is the time that Vernon Adams shines. And I think they win it. I don't think it's close. I feel like BC is going to pull away early. I'm very hopeful that this happens because we all know if Winnipeg wins a great cup, we're going to have to listen to that garbage about them having a dynasty all over again. We ended that last year. They lost their dynasty ended, but now they're, Oh, we got three and four years. We're a dynasty. No, you're not. You you're, you've won one in a row. Sit down and shut up. And I will, I will absolutely lose it on anybody who calls it a dynasty. If they win three and four, that just means you Uh, failed. Three and so five Patriots. So the Patriots weren't a dynasty then. Absolutely not. Okay. He's he's a Green Bay fan. He wins like a title like what one every twenty years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last I checked, we have the most football championships in sports. Don't, so okay. maybe sit down and don't fight me. over there. Not, okay. that, that, same, no, thing with the, same thing with the Argo fans. We got the most championships since, and they're right, and think, they're yeah. right. That's what happens. You can knock like three titles. teams that based around a. There's a reason they call Toronto. Green Bay Title Town. All right, 
No one calls them that except for Green Bay fans. It's like the city champions in Edmonton. They actually no, had to take they, that off the signs because it's so embarrassing. You know what anybody calls New England when they visit? Nothing, because nobody wants to go there. They call it Foxborough. They move on. We win championships, we move on. Not anytime soon. Yeah, Mac Jones just, can't hit a broadside of a barn. Anyway. I'm just sitting here as a Broncos fan, not seeing my team ever make the playoffs again. So, yeah. Just let, let Russ cook. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Um, I'd be remiss if we didn't do this this week. So let's do it. We did our favorite semifinal moments uh, last week. We'll do these this week. Favorite final moments uh, in Ryder history. Again, there's not many of them. Um, but in my fandom, obviously, um, I, I, to me, I think it's 2013. That's where I'm going. Like watching that game at home, I knew they were going to dust Calgary and they did. The best part was that it was in Calgary and what was the fun? Like 35, 13 or whatever it was. Like they just, they crushed them and it was Corey sheets running for almost 200 yards. It was just domination. And that just felt so damn good. You guys. I, I remember, I can't remember the player that said it, but it was in Calgary. It was on my birthday. I do remember that. And watching the game at home. But I remember reading after one of the Ryder players goes, we knew we had them because they were all wearing sleeves. And the Riders came out bare arms in the Calgary weather. And I, 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 I can't remember what uh, receiver it was, but he was running with the ball and just, just carrying it like a loaf of bread and just stripped. And basically the, the Riders defense says because he's wearing sleeves. Like he couldn't grab the ball the way he should. Because they were, they were loose sleeves. They weren't like tight fitting like the Under Armour they wear now. And yeah, the Riders came out and they weren't going to be denied. It was such a good game. I mean, 2013 is the obvious choice. They they won that Grey Cup the moment they came back against BC. That, that season was over. You could have ended it then and there. Because they were never going into Calgary and losing that football game. After what they did to BC, there was no question. If I remember correctly, was that the year that Calgary uh, played a few, their D line in the yep. the last season and, and went in with a bunch of backups because they uh, everyone got hurt. They, everyone got, got hurt the final game of the season. Yeah, yeah. Micah Johnson were, and someone else got hurt. Yeah. yeah, or no, maybe it was Charleston Hughes. But yeah, the defensive line way, was, uh, yeah, was a the, patchwork. Yeah. yeah, going up against Corey Sheets in his prime. That that game was never in doubt. And I don't think I've ever been less concerned about a rider victory than I was that day. Because you just knew that we were going to be back at Regina the next week watching them in the great. You just knew it. But there's something to be said about 2010. And after the way 2009 ended, that 2010 game, the chance to, you know, slay those dragons of 2009 and go up against the same team you lost through the year before, but you know, hopefully with a better outcome, obviously that didn't happen. But the, the joy at the end of that game to me was something I don't know if I felt outside of that great cup since. Like there was just, there was something about it, about that chance to go into Edmonton. And I wasn't planning on going to the 2010 great cup. And then I made a bunch of calls right after that game and, you know, we, we put a carload together and off we went because you had to be there. 
I'll never there, forget there was, 20. There was a lot. I'll never forget 2010 for two reasons. One, that being as cold as it was, that was freezing. That was so cold. And I, I can still see the pile of clothes when we got back home. I lived in Calgary at the time, uh, taking off all the layers and all the jackets and everything, just a huge, huge pile. Uh, but Jarrell Freeman saving that game uh, by scooping up that ball in the end zone when Calgary kind of fumbled around in the end zone. Calgary lands on that ball. They win that game. They score a touchdown. They win because it was 2016, I think, was the final. And that saved the rider season and got them to the Grey Cup. So I'll never forget that. Um, we have to mention 1989. I didn't. I mean, I'm sure I probably watched it live again, being three years old. Um, I wouldn't remember it beating 16 and two Edmonton, but I've watched that game back and forth. Jeff Fairholm talked about it last week and just the way they went in and just absolutely dominated that game. Just punched him in the mouth. Just punched him in the mouth. Tracy Ham had no answers. That defense was something else. The offense was making big plays. And actually, you know, Rob Vanstone wrote a wrote an article about it for Ryderville. Um, no 16 win team has ever won a championship. Um, again, another shot at the Patriots on this this week's show. Um, the Riders <sighs> began the curse of the 16 win season is how uh, Rob spun that around. So um, no team's done it and the Riders started it. Rob's about to hit the list with Jeff Fairholm. And I love Rob. <laughs> Um, and then just mentioned 2009, just because that was the first conference final at home in 30 years, um, and beating Calgary again, beating Calgary. Anytime you beat Calgary, it's, Anytime it's beat good. Calgary is great. I remember great. when those were few and far between. <laughs> so some of our favorite divisional final moments in Ryder history. Um, hopefully next year we're talking about another one too. We'll see. But here to dream. That's yeah, that's gonna do it for us this week here on the Piffles Podcast. Um, thank you everyone watching on Sastel Max on YouTube, listening on your favorite podcast platform. Piffles Podcast, of course, is brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks go out to Kathy Festion of Royal Page Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company for their support making the show possible. We'll see you guys next week when we know what the Grey Cup is. And uh, is anybody here going going to Grey Cup next next week? No, no, ah, damn. Oh well. Why would next I want to go to Hamilton? Well, yeah, that's true. I don't know where to go <laughs> had, from there. So. I had to choose between Hamilton in November or or Mexico in January. And let me tell you, it was a tough choice. Well, hey, does Mexico have the Canadian Football Hall of Fame? I don't think so. Does Hamilton even have it anymore? Uh, Last I checked, it's actually there. It's I read somewhere that somebody said that they went looking for the hours of operation and it's closed for two weeks during Great Cup. Of course it is. Good job, CFL. Really? Although usually they do, if I remember, they usually send out a bunch of stuff to like the convention centers. And I'm thinking that's probably why, but holy hell, what a bad look. Just send everybody there. Yeah. Just have a, have a plaque. Hey, this usual thing is at the actual hall of fame. Go go see the hall of fame. 
Yeah. And charge it's not like it's out of the way. It's in. at the stadium. Go take a look at a giant Nick Lewis head. Like, come on. Yeah. I tell you that I got to walk around with the Grey Cup by myself in the Hall of Fame when I went to Hamilton. Nope. So nope. I went I went to Toronto for a game. Uh, year, this is years ago. This is like 2007, 2008, something like that. And I went to Hamilton because I wanted to go to the Hall of Fame. And they had nothing there. They had the like the bust room with all the heads. And they had a couple little things. And then they had a, like a field goal uh, kicking exhibit that you could do, which was shut down for the day. Um, so, but when you walked in there, you had the great, the great cop was right there. Uh, locked case and everything. And the, the guy that was working there says, Hey, do you want your picture taken with the gray cup? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. So he brings it out. I'm standing there holding the gray cup and he goes, okay, well, when you're done with it, I'll just be <laughs> over here in this room. I got some other stuff to do. Just, yeah, take it and walk around and whatever. And, and just let me know when you're done. Okay. Like <laughs> a guy I'm, who I'm, obviously was there for a short time. It's like, yeah, pro- I kind of hope so actually. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, I was the only person in the Hall of Fame. And there I am walking with the great cup in my arm, walking around, looking at all the busts and going up and down. And yeah, that was cool. But I can't imagine that would ever happen again. <laughs> Just let me know when you're done with it. Alex yeah, I couldn't the believe that. Yeah, no kidding, right? Alex oh, walking around the great cup, calling it cuppy, just talking to it. It's so cuppy. What do you think about this guy? Yeah, I could have made it to Toronto and they wouldn't know what it was, right? Like... <laughs> People there wouldn't have recognized it. I could probably could have gotten away with it. That's a weird looking Stanley Cup. <laughs> they haven't seen one since 1960. Well, they haven't seen that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. Uh, okay. Anyway, well, anybody that, yeah. Anybody that's going out to the Great Cup, have a good time. Um, and we'll uh we'll look at the Great Cup next week here on the show. This is Ghost Behind Your Mind by Tyler Gilbert. The Ghost Behind-